everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Podcast by Committee, uh, an effort here at the Athletic Fantasy to get you just as much information about one team as possible. And by doing that, we bring in just our amazing array of beat writers and reporters and national reporters. Um, so to kick things off for the first ever episode, um, and this is, this is a very special honor, and <laughs> I'm sure it ranks right up there with the greatest things that have ever happened to her, uh, our Denver Broncos beat writer, Nikki Javala. Nikki, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, um, it's, it's an honor for us to have you here. Number one, because I followed you like bef- from your, your days before you joined the Athletic, um, and it was kind of cool. Like when I signed up and poked around a little, like, oh, these, this is pretty cool. This collection of writers we have here, um, but also because last year you tipped everyone off to Philip Lindsay when no one was talking about him. Yeah, he's he's pretty popular around here. Um, I was honestly shocked he didn't get drafted, especially especially since. You know, the, the Broncos' whole personnel staff saw his pro day and watched from the sideline. I'm like, how did he still not get drafted? But I guess it worked out. It was, I mean, it was kind of like a throwaway line that you put. We, we, did, a, we did a column, Brandon Marion Lee did the column last year, where she, she talks to all the reporters for each team and asks them a question. And you're kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, Philip Lindsay. And she's kind of, she's like literally in the middle of the sentence, was like, wait, there's a name in there that needs more of an explanation. And you went in and how Lindsay's definitely like maybe a few know outside of Denver, but it could have a real impact on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that you saw? Like, that, like, but literally like nobody else, Philip Lindsay was on zero radars. There wasn't even yeah. like, there's always that one fantasy guy who's like, but Philip Lindsay. And there wasn't even that guy. So uh, what was it? What did you see? Well, he had, I mean, he had an incredible college career here. And I, I don't know how that went overlooked as it did, but I mean, he's their like all time leading, all purpose yards leader. I think he's second in rushing behind Eric Bieniemy. I mean, the kid was a stud at CU. Um, and he turned a lot of heads in high school too. He had an injury at the end of his high school career and that kind of delayed his start in college. But I mean, he was a stud in college. The problem was CU football was generally not good. <laughs> so they were often overlooked. Um, and then, you know, he was like 180, 190 pounds. So that, that didn't help his case. But so his numbers were pretty remarkable. And then I got to know him um, during that offseason right before the draft because he trained with Lauren Lando who's one of the more prominent trainers around here. He's worked with like Olympians, MMA fighters, a bunch of NFL players. And he was recently hired to be their, the Broncos head strength coach. So I got, I'd got to know him just by going over there and talking to him. And the kid is like, he's, he's something else. I mean, once you talk to him, you realize like he's just wired differently. Like he has so much energy. He's so confident, so determined and I'm sure you could probably say that about a lot of guys that have made it to the pro level, but there's just something that stood out about him. Um, and then as soon as he got in camp, it was just like, man, this this kid's for real. You just you just wanted to see if it lasted, and sure enough, it did. Well, actually, that, that's that's the follow up I was going to have is that mm-hmm. this year he's kind of like the trendy guy to be down on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everyone's back on Royce Freeman, and the, this, you know, oh, well, Devontae Booker's still around. Is, is this foolhardy on a lot of uh, fantasy players, I guess, uh, thought process that they're counting out Lindsay? Yeah, I don't think you can ever fully count him out just because of who he is and, you know, again, the way he's wired. Um, 
But his role will change a little bit. They they plan to get him involved more in the passing game. I would expect there to be more of a balance between him and Royce Freeman. Um, I I think, you know, Phil just had such a hot hand last year that they just kept going with him. And it got to the point where he basically was their offense for a stretch. Um, You know, it it left him pretty battered by the end. Um, But I I think in this offense to have – two complimentary backs like that who are very different. I mean, Royce Freeman is, you know, he's built like a house. He's powerful. He's durable. Um, and to have him coupled with Philip Lindsay, who's more explosive, um, you know, lighter on his feet, smaller guy. I, I think it can only help them. And then you got Devonte Booker, who's in his fourth year and has kind of been the key third down back. Um, I, I, I think Phil's still going to have a big year. I know he has some pretty high expectations after what he did in year one. And I think those are high mainly because of where he started. I mean, just nobody expected that out of an undrafted kid. Um, but I, I, I think him and Royce will probably be closer in, in production. I, that's a hope anyway from the Broncos. Nikki, um, did you, do you play fantasy? Did you play fantasy? Are you one of us or are you, are you just are you tolerating us? No, no. I, well, I played once, um, and I finished last in my league. That's a great way to start this, huh? Everybody's going to listen to my advice now. Um, <laughs> no, it just means you're dedicated to your craft. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't touched it since just because of that harrowing experience. Um, but I, I do like it. I appreciate it. I know a lot of people are like super into it so and i get a lot of questions about running backs every week so i'm happy to participate (laughs) (laughs) we apologize on behalf of that no i'm i love it um so i I told you before the show i I got some get to know nikki questions um just five of them i I can lump them together we can weave them throughout the show whichever whichever way you'd like to go with this whatever you prefer i'm game it's kind of like so i assume when you played maybe it was in kind of like looking at your background, you have almost like this mm-hmm. former life where you're with like an mm-hmm. editor at the Times, a producer at SI. Um, how did you? How did this happen? How did you go from? Because like I, I've been a producer and I've been an editor and a writer and all this stuff, and uh, it's just kind of neat. To, you just jumped right into like beat writer. Yeah, I got really lucky. Um, so yeah, I, I was a editor producer at Sports Illustrated for five years, and I was doing um, MBA then. Um, so I got to work with a lot of cool writers like Jack McCallum. Um, he was one of my favorites and Lee Jenkins. He was amazing. Um, and then I went to sports on earth. I was there for about six months and I love that. It was a great startup. I was sad to see it not really make it. Um, but then a job opened up with the New York times and that's kind of been the dream gig for me. So I moved to another editing job there and I was mostly working from like 11 PM to 7 AM. Um, yeah, I learned a lot. Um, but I was, I was on hard news and I realized pretty quickly that I missed sports and, you know, talking about football instead of wars. Um, so I I decided to to move out to Denver. My parents had just moved out here. Um, and I wanted to be closer to them. Um, so I, I ended up reaching out to folks at the Denver Post and I was initially hired as a, a producer and editor again. Um, but when Broncos training camp opened in 2014, they asked me to, you know, go help out and, you know, they liked what I was able to do. And, you know, a couple beat writers ahead of me 
ended up leaving for TV jobs and they just kept bumping me up. So it's, it's kind of crazy how I, I seriously just got lucky. Like the timing, um, the fact that they were willing to take a chance on me after um, years of editing was really great. So I, I got lucky. I got lucky. I mean, but you, it was, you, you got New York Times and Sports Illustrated on your resume. It's not like, you know, all love. Yeah. It's, it, it's hard to make that transition, though. Um, I mean, a lot of people go from writing to editing later in their careers, but it's very, I realized it was very hard to go from editing to writing just because your name isn't really visible. Um, you know, a, a lot of times when you get, you know, various writing jobs, it's because people know you or you have connections, but when you're an editor and producer, you're kind of just invisible. So, um, it did require a lot of luck and timing there, but grateful for it for sure. Uh, I have a one B to that. Do you, do you miss the invisibility of it? Cause I like, I know I've, I've done both. And if I'm behind the scenes, kind of like pulling the strings, like mm-hmm. I don't get nasty Twitter comments about the bad advice I gave, like anything like that. I'm just kind of like, what I, you know, this is, this is on Jake Seeley. They're attacking him. I'm just the guy behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, do, I have, I miss have that? Days. Yeah, there are days where I'm like, I'm so done with this. I'm over Twitter. I'm over social media. I'm, you know, I mean, people can be nasty on social media. There's no way around it. Um, and sometimes I face it a little bit more just because, you know, I'm, the only woman in the media room in Denver. Um, I actually love that I am, but occasionally, it, you know, people use it as fuel to, I don't know, just say some pretty mean things. Um, but generally, I, I absolutely love being a writer. I mean, I, I studied, I, I wanted to be a writer when I studied journalism at North Carolina, and I, I just ended up on the editing track at SI. Um, and I'm grateful I did. I think it helped me tremendously. Um, but it, it is nice to kind of be back on, on this side. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the, the, I've noticed all the places I've worked, the athletic commenters, and I'm not just good. Oh, we're the greatest, but the commenters are very civil. I've like at least more civil than anywhere I've yeah, been. Yeah. It's like remarkable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, most of the time elsewhere I would get just, you know, curse words and we'd have to delete the comments entirely or <laughs> just, you know, commenters commenting about other commenters but yeah it's pretty crazy yeah um okay so that's number one we'll get we'll get we'll weave in the rest as we go along getting to know okay. nikki um i read your your q a with rich scangarello um not in preparation for this i just i like reading everything here so um there, there was an interesting exchange you had with him where you were talking about kyle shanahan's influence and he's mm-hmm. like yeah you know there's kyle shanahan but there's also mike munchak um mm-hmm. which i thought was kind of okay uh, is this going to be like a, and I, I want to get to the, the individual pieces in a little bit, but is this going to be kind of like a funky offense? It seems like Shanahan's and Munchak's influence are, aren't exactly from the same branch of the tree, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a Shanahan offense mostly. Um, I think what he was getting at, and I also thought that was a really interesting point that he made is um, Munchak is much more than an offensive line coach and, and expectedly so I would think, you know, given his track record, his experience, his ability to teach these guys. Um, he, he appears to be more of like the run game coordinator as well. They still have Curtis Modkins, the running backs coach, but I mean, Munchak standing behind the line, um, for every play, uh, he's clearly, um, had a hand in developing this offense um, and kind of taking the Shanahan offense and, and adding some different nuances, but, you know, is also 
heavily involved in the run game, also obviously leading the development for the offensive line, which has sorely needed it over the years. Um, so I, I think it makes sense. I think when you hire a guy like him, you, tr- you sh- probably should use him in every way that you possibly can. And it's, it's kind of refreshing to see that they're doing that. Um, is this going to be an exciting offense? I mean, I know, you know, like it's not, it's not yeah. Josh McDaniels offense, but um, is it going to be balanced? Is it going to be their air raid? Like, or yeah. is it just going to be the kind of the Shanahan paint by numbers thing? Well, I, I think the hope is that it's more exciting. I think the last two years when they had McCoy and Musgrave, it was just, and McCoy's offense was just so cumbersome. I mean, that playbook was enormous. It was bigger than the playbook they had for Peyton Manning, and they were trying to run it with Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. It made no sense. Then Musgrave, um, Musgrave came in and, you know, the intent was to streamline it, but it became so stagnant that, you know, they couldn't do anything. So it, it should be more interesting, but it should also be familiar. I mean, it's, it's, it's similar to what Gary Kubiak um, ran in Baltimore. What he ran in 2015 with Elway was kind of a hodgepodge uh, with Peyton Manning when he, in 2015. It was kind of a hodgepodge thing because they were trying to adapt to, to Peyton's skill sets as well. Um, so I would imagine it looks something like what Joe Flacco ran in Baltimore in 2014, similar to what LA ran with Shanahan. Um, a lot of the play action zone blocking. Um, but you can see, you know, some of the Kyle Shanahan stuff in there with the bunches and, um, just, you know, some of the routes are running. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, I like Kyle's offense. I think it's certainly more dynamic than what the Broncos have run in, in recent years. And I think the system is a better fit for the personnel they have. Uh, you mentioned Joe Flacco's 2014. Uh, I'm pulling it up really quickly here just to see if that was one of his good ones. Uh, it was almost 4,000 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, um, you know, t- you know double-digit interceptions. Uh, like I, I wanted to get into Flacco in a little bit, but I think this is a nice segue. Um, is this going to be one of those good Joe Flacco, like 4,000 a yard? ish maybe seasons uh, is that is that like a something we could look forward to or is it going to be maybe a little more conservative joe flacco um it remains to be seen i think they would love it if it were <laughs> if oh, it were yeah, like right. the 2014 <laughs> flacco um you know always has maintained that he believes flacco is in his prime he's 34 and you know entering what year 12 now um but he, he really does believe that flacco brings that presence that you know, it's kind of been missing. It's, it's, it goes beyond um, the numbers and the wins and losses and the playoff record and even the Super Bowl winning. Um, and like I, t- I talked to Elway today, actually, for a story, and he's, he, he's described it as like this calming presence that Flacco has at the position. Um, you know, they've, they've had a lot of young guys there. Um, Case Keenum was the last to try it, but he was the first, like the, it was his first full-time starting gig. Um, and, and they're really hoping that just, you know, Flacco just stabilizes it. Um, you know, always aware that, you know, some people think he's great or just good or whatever, but he wants him to just be solid, um, and, and to kind of end this roller coaster they've had at the position and with the offense in general. So is it safe to kind of like, we're not looking at a collection of 300 yard, three touchdown bonanza games. It's, it's going to be, it's, it just sounds the way like you describe mm-hmm. it as, you know, this, the steady calming influence of maybe yeah. a bunch of 260 and two touchdowns. Possibly. I mean, 
the dude's still got an arm. <laughs> I've seen that much in camp. And he, he's got some weapons around him. I mean, with, you know, the, the tight ends, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick. I mean, he's he's thrown some rockets in camp. So, you know, it's, it's quite possible that, you know, he gets hot one game and, you know, has a monster outing and, you know, is going deep nonstop. But, you know, I think for the most part, what they really want, like you said, is just kind of, you know, steady things for right now. Let's go back to getting to know Nikki. Uh, number two, do you have any pets? I do. I have a golden doodle, and his name is Joey. How do, how do you get the name? If you I don't, don't mind us I, asking. I don't know. I've always just wanted to name a dog Joey. I think it's a really <laughs> cute name. So when I wanted to get a dog, I had to make sure I got a boy just so I could name it Joey. <laughs> but I love him to death. He's, he's the best. Did you get him uh, when he moved to Denver, or did he come with you from New York? No, I, I got him um, in 2018 during that off season. So he's about a year and a half. Oh, nice. You, you go for are you like you can go out for runs, like because I've only been to Denver once mm-hmm. for like a few days, and it seems like it's very much like let's go out for like an hour running around and stuff. Yeah, I mean it's very it's very outdoorsy. I mean I. I just bought a house, so I live in a suburb that probably looks like every other suburb you've been to. So, <laughs> oh, all but, right, yeah. Oh, congratulations on the house! Oh, thank from you. all of us here in fantasy, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, okay, cool. Uh, back, back to the Broncos. Um, Joe Flacco is going to be throwing to a couple. I assume, and I think a lot of people assume that the, the top two receivers on this team are going to be the two sophomores. Um, is that is that a fair assessment? Is that, is that how it's going to play out? Do you think? Depends on Emmanuel Sanders. Um, he's still working his way back from the Achilles injury. He's about seven, almost eight months into his recovery. And they started to work him back into like individual drills and just, you know, and just some route running. Um, but they haven't turned him loose on, on full 11 on 11 yet. Um, he's been optimistic that he'll be ready for the season opener, but he also knows that this is a pretty serious injury, especially for a speed guy and especially for a guy entering what, year 10 in the NFL, um, and it also being a contract year for him. So there's a lot on the line for him. But I, I think the hope is, you know, that he he does come back, you know, if not, you know, the same version that he was as something pretty close. Um, he's looked pretty good in, in camp. I mean, I'm no doctor or trainer, so it's, you know, I just – see him cutting and running and it, you know, it looks fast and great, (laughs) but um, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, But yeah, I I think a lot is dependent on him. He's ultimately the top receiver if when healthy. Um, And then, yeah, go down the line, Cortland Sutton. I would, I would think that Deshaun has a bigger year. He was playing with a knee injury a lot last year. Um, and, and especially with how they're using him this year, he's been in the slot quite a bit and, you know, on crossing routes, Gangrello loves his crossing routes. Um, and he's, he's had a great camp so far. So I think they'd like to get him involved more. Um, Tim Patrick is another one. He's, he was kind of a, a surprise last year. Um, not to the degree that Philip Lindsay was, but you know, he hadn't played much. He was actually in Baltimore for a bit with Flacco, but you know, he came out of Utah. He had a pretty nasty injury there. And, you know, he just – he totally earned his spot on the roster in camp last year. And, you know, given his size, he's about 6'4". Um, it, it really gives, you know, the passing game some 
some options there, especially with Sutton, who's I think listed at what six three. Um, so they have some size to work with. I, I think all four of those guys um, have a real chance to have a big year with Flacco. Um, the the fifth position, and it, it remains to be seen if you know they're going to keep five or six receivers. I think it might depend on how many tight ends they keep. Um, but to me, and this isn't based on any. Thing Vic has told me or anybody else, but just seeing how they perform in camp, it, it kind of looks like Juwan Winfrey might be the leader, especially since they traded up to draft him. Um, he's had a good camp. He missed today with um, sort of a, a calf injury. Um, but it, he looks like another who could really impress if he can stay healthy. Is this just a case of like there, there's almost – like you want to peg Tim Patrick as like this – maybe having a big breakout this year, but mm-hmm. he might have possibly three guys ahead of him. Or, or is he someone who, you know, maybe if he has a couple big games in the first couple of weeks, this is going to be the Tim Patrick season. And maybe Cortland Sutton is kind of you know, stuck down at third or something like that. I don't, yeah. I mean, it, anything could happen. I think, I think, you know, those three Sutton, Hamilton, Patrick, you know, second year guys, really, I, I think they, have pretty high expectations for all of them. Um, I'd Patrick's say that's getting no buzz. Like no one's talking about Patrick in the fantasy world. Yeah. I'm sure a couple people are, but you know what I mean? Like there's no, he hasn't risen up yet. Sutton is a, he's the future. Um, he's their second round pick. They had a first round grade on him when they drafted him in 2018. Um, he had a heck of a camp last year and, you know, it was kind of a weird year for the receiving group last year because the offense was, you know, generally a mess. But then, you know, DT gets traded, Emmanuel gets hurt, and Sutton's thrown in there to be the number one receiver. And as a rookie, it's kind of trial by fire. I mean, you are you think you can do it, but then, you know, when you're taking on the top corner every game, it's a bit of a different story. So I, I think this year, having had that experience um, under his belt, I, I think – the bar is set pretty high for him. Um, and everybody knows that he's kind of been pegged as, you know, the guy for the future is, you know, the next DT here. And, you know, they, they want to see him have that breakout season, but yeah, you can't rule out Tim Patrick. I mean, he's also Tim Patrick to me, looks like he's put on some muscle. Uh, he was, he's kind of lanky last year. Um, but he's, he's had a, pretty good camp and you know with the size is his catch radius I, I think he could he could have a serious impact this is all this could be your philip Lindsay, your 2019 <laughs> philip Lindsay. <laughs> this is great um get to know nikki uh this one's kind of a little existential but like you get to go to a broncos game as a regular person mm-hmm. what's your experience like from from the ticket buying to the tailgating to concessions how do how do you tailor your experience here to have the best time at a Broncos game? I've never been to a Broncos game as a regular person. (laughs) I've never been. I can't even imagine. I totally understand it. I totally understand that. I get it. I think, honestly, I think it'd be stressful. Not because I'm, I'm not a fan. Like I like the players I cover. I enjoy being around them, but I've, I've never been a huge fan of any one NFL team. Um, I've always loved the Tar Heels because I went to North Carolina and the Yankees because I just, our family grew up Yankees fans. Okay. Where are you, are you from the New York? Are you from around New York, New Jersey? My dad is from the Bronx. And then okay, when I lived there for about seven years, it was, yeah, I became pretty diehard. So, nice. yeah. So those are my teams. The NFL teams, I, I love watching the athletes and whatnot. Um, 
but I never had that team. So I, I didn't really go to many NFL games as like a regular fan. I couldn't really afford it to vote for one. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I do – one of the things I do notice about the Broncos, and I'm sure it's like this with, you know, every other NFL team. Um, I mean, it's just such a production. Every game is this massive production. And they sell out every game even when they're not good. I mean, it, it's always packed, and it's so loud there. Um, and I, I'm just amazed at all that goes into it. So I think I would have a blast. I would, I would, I would love to go as a fan once. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I would have a hard time going back to working <laughs> in Broncos games after I did that, but it would be an interesting experience. The, the tailgating is pretty serious there. Oh, let me give you, let me give you a three B. Uh, what would be your drink of choice? What is your drink of choice? How about that? We'll just Beer. pull off the tailgating thing. Right. <laughs> are you like yeah. a Coors Lighty or are you like, no. like we have Eno and, and DVR who are like craft beer people? Yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, to me, that's just so watered down. I mean, the only like sort of along those lines, I used to like Yinglings when I lived in the Northeast, but they don't have those out here. Um, oh, that's rough. Yeah. And Denverites, you know, I love them dearly, but they're kind of beer snobs. So I go for any of like Belgian beers. I like those. You know, um, when I went out there and everyone's, like, oh, watch out, you know, the altitude's going to get you drunk faster. And I don't think it did. I, I kind of feel like I that was an urban legend. I haven't really noticed that. It yeah. might be an urban legend. Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't experienced that. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Unless we didn't realize it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Everything's cool. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> um, Okay. All right. Uh, Belgian beer it is. Um, back to the Broncos. Um, mm-hmm. Noah Fant, has, he, speaking of buzz, he's kind of like the anti-Tim Patrick, who everyone just seems to love all of a sudden. Um, I think John Elway had made some comments about how he kind of never had that type of receiving tight end threat, um, and that's what they're looking for. And this is before the draft, and they went and got Fant. Um, but is it realistic to, to expect him? I mean, you go to the ESPN depth chart for the Broncos, he's not even on it yet. Is, is it realistic to, mm-hmm. to expect anything big out of Fant? I think it's realistic because he's a first-round pick. Um, you know, inherently, the expectations are going to be high. And I think for a skilled position player, they, they want him to contribute immediately. I, I don't think he's going to start immediately. I think he's still kind of adapting to, you know, the system, the pro speed, you know, going against, you know, an NFL defense. It's a bit different. Um but I, yeah, I think they expect him to have some sort of contribution and continue to develop. My my thinking all along was, you know, I, I would expect Jeff Hireman to start because he's the most experienced of the group. Um, but, you know, I, Noah Fant's a smart player, and he's got an athleticism that cannot be taught with his his speed, um, his, his size, his strength. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he – becomes a starter at some point in the season, be it because of, you know, injury or just simply they, they want to get him in the mix. Um, you know, he, he's made progress in camp, but, you know, Vic Fangio has kind of stressed this with all the rookies and that they need to become NFL players. You know, they're, they're very fine athletes and, you know, they were skilled um, in college, obviously to get to this point, but it's a, it's a different game once you're at this level um, and they want to make sure they're ready. And I, and I, I think fans, especially in Denver, 
can and should appreciate that because I, I think they've also seen what can happen when the young players aren't really ready and they're throwing. And, you know, a lot of times that's been because the Broncos have, they've had to do that because of need. Um, but if they have the luxury of trying to develop these guys, they absolutely should do it. If I could just keep it on tight end for a second, um, over in New England, everyone's kind of on the Matt Lacoste train a little bit, even if it's in the most pessimistic way of looking at it as a <laughs> process of elimination. Um, is, is, I mean, you, you saw him all last year. Is he someone who can not be Gronk, but even if he's like half of Rob Gronkowski, he's still maybe like a top 12 fantasy tight end. Um, can you see him doing that? Is, or is, is that not his game really? I, I think he can be productive there, especially with Belichick as his coach. I mean, he, he's going to find ways to get the best out of him. He, he made his way in Denver and he did so under very difficult circumstances because of injuries at, you know, to the position and also just the general flux on offense. I mean, they're just, they've been struggling for two years. There's no, there's no way around it. Um, so, you know, by the time it got to him, you know, they had already lost a, a number of tight ends. Hireman has dealt with injuries. Jake Butt was hurt. Troy Fumagalli was out for the season. So here's this undrafted player that, you know, most have never heard of. And he, he, he does quite well. Um, so I, I think he'll be fine over there. I don't, I don't know that he'll have, you know, he'll put up huge numbers, but he's one of those guys that he was definitely hungry. And I, I think you see that with most undrafted guys um, and, and players here liked him. They liked him because he worked hard. You know, he, he studied, he was a good teammate. And I think when you have that, it helps you become a better player when you have the respect of your teammates and whatnot. So no, I, I hope he does well. He was he was great to deal with here. Um, you know, we we kind of just we saw really very little of him. Um, but in that short span, I, I think he impressed a lot of people. Well, like you, you bring up like his his personality. There was like mm-hmm. a real, I think it was one of your stories. It was a very cool quote he had um, where he said something like, "You know, it sucked a little bit because all my friends were getting hurt, but that's how I got my opportunity." Like you yeah. Sense. Yeah. That, you don't see that angle very often from a player, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and I I think most of them feel that way. It's just, you know, and unfortunately for undrafted guys who are stashed so far down the depth chart typically, it does take unfortunate circumstance for them to get that opportunity. And I think they realize that when it does happen to them, you got to make the most of it. Um he was fascinating last year in part because the Broncos had this collection of undrafted guys who had become real stars for them. I mean, you look at Chris Harris and what he's done in the defensive backfield. You look at, of course, Phil Lindsay in year one, and he comes on. I mean, it's it was an interesting dynamic because you had these guys that, you know, had, had either been proven or had started to prove themselves as NFL players and were clearly not happy with where things were going because they hate to lose probably more than anybody on that team just because of how they started. So it it created a clash, but it was also interesting to get their perspective um, because they also, I I just felt like they had a, um, a different take on the game just because of their journey there. Nice. I never thought of it like that, actually. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There was a nice collection of undrafted guys on that team. Yeah. 
Um, get to know Nikki. Fourth one. What's the worst misspelling of your name? And I'm asking this as, as a Ferdinando <laughs> Fino who's seen every comment. Like, they just throw up letters and let them fall where they are. Um, I respect the situation of Nikki <laughs> with, with the C and then Javala. What's, what's the worst you've ever seen? Honestly, I I hate the ones where they actually spell my last name right, but then they spell my first name and I K K I. Like, how did you get the last name right, but you couldn't get Nikki right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've it's like I've, it's like a look ahead game. It's like yeah, a look ahead I mean, game. Yeah, I've I've probably seen every possible variation of Javala. I mean, people just throw a bunch of vowels together and put an H in there and think they've got and honestly it's gone to the point where i respond to anything close i mean it's a weird last name i get it <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> but it's i mean it's it's not it's cool right like I've, i i guess the pronunciation of my first try so yeah i was thoroughly impressed you're like one of three oh, people well, um <laughs> i try i mean I, I like that it's different you know you can never be confused with another nikki i guess that's true were you like me like when i was growing up and i guess it's different because you got kind of like the normal first name but up until I was like 13, I'm like, oh man, this name. And then it started being cool. Like people are like, oh, what does that mean? Where'd that come from? I'm like, oh, yeah. I can live with this. Like in college, I'm like, yeah, cool name, obviously. Yeah. Did no, yeah, I learned to appreciate it. Yeah, I learned to appreciate it much more later in life. I mean, growing up, it was just, oh, I have the weird last name. People are going to think I stand out. It's, I don't like it. But now I really appreciate it. I kind of like that it's different. I like that people ask me, you know, oh, where's that from? You know, what's your family's background? I like that now. Oh, nice. Um, let's get one more. Uh, get to know Nikki, and then uh, uh, we'll wrap it up because uh, I know we told you a half hour. I'd like to keep. I like to keep our word here okay. before it rages out of control. Um, last show you binged? Um, probably Power. I love power and I, I kind of like to get a bunch of them taped so I can just sit down one day and just watch a bunch of them at a time instead of going week to week. And then I have to deal with the suspense and what's going to happen. I don't like, I don't want to deal with that. So <laughs> I let them, so I haven't even started the, you know, the latest ones. So, um, but I think it was power. That was probably the last one. I love that show. Power is the, um, uh, the 50 Cent Show, right? Yes. Yeah. I watch Power in HGTV. Is that weird? No. I like to so. think of it as eclectic. Uh, well, okay. I'm in on that. That's cool. <laughs> that, <laughs> that totally works. A little works. drug dealing, a little house hunting, you know, you get everything I want. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. Um, how about your second favorite? Are you a Game of Thrones person? No, I've never watched it. I get yeah. a, you know... Yeah, I get a lot of crap about that on Twitter because I've never watched it. I've, whenever episodes aired, I literally had no idea what anybody was talking about online. I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna shut down the computer for the next hour. <laughs> um, I'm not a Game of Thrones person. Um, I really like, um, like Downton Abbey. I love Downton Abbey. I know that's kind of cheesy and whatnot, but I love it. I love the details of that series. Um, that was one of my go-tos. I don't think it's ending. cheesy. I think going from Downton Abbey to Power is to quite interesting. And back again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. To House Hunters. Yeah. Again, eclectic. <laughs> okay. That, but that's what we like about you, Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, last Broncos question. Um, Vic Fangio, he's, he's kind of like an X Factor in a way. Like no one really knows mm -hmm. how he's going to run a team. Um, I understand like, you know, Rich Scangarello probably has 
hold of that offense. Um, you know, Fangio coming from a, a defensive background. But uh, are, are you are you expecting any kind of trends? And maybe it's it's more of like how the offense is going to be run. But um, I think we got kind of pieced it together through this whole conversation here. But are you looking at any trends at all? Like, um, you know, look out for for a lot of running game explosions. They're going to pass a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything a fantasy player could take away from the staff that you know you might have already been able to divine from being around it a little bit? Um, this probably won't please fantasy players, but I mean, the defense looks great and it's, you know, in large part because Fangio is, he's still, he's going to be the, he's going to call plays. Um, but he can tell he's also had, you know, a bigger hand on that side of the ball than the other, which is, you know, totally expected, um, given his history. Um, but I, I try to think, I think the run game could be pretty serious. Again, I, I know those guys are going to be used in different ways and involved more in the passing game. Um, but I think the run game is expected to be um, a, a big piece of this offense. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see the tight ends involved more. And I think that's the intent going in, uh, especially with the way Scangarello and, you know, just generally with a Shanahan offense, how, you know, they're featured. Um but I, I, I always have to, you know, pause with that group just because it's always contingent on their health. And, you know, for their sake and the team's sake, I, you, I hope they can stay healthy to be able to have that production that they've been wanting from the tight ends group for, for a while. Um, but I, I, I think from what I've seen so far, this is going to be another year where the Broncos are still a defensive first team. That that unit so far, it's only been five days of training camp, but that the defense has has looked better than the offense. And I think a lot of it is the offense is working out the kinks, um, but they're also really stacked on defense with Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb, Chris Harris. You know, Kareem Jackson's back there. They got a defensive line with Derek Wolf. Um, they got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. So I think that could still be their bread and butter. Oh, yeah. I think we just assume that's why we didn't have many defensive questions because it's just kind of like, yeah. You, well, you know, from your one year playing fantasy, you just pick a defense and, you know, yeah. It's kind of the Bears, the Broncos, and everybody else in a way. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Uh, Nikki. Thank you so much. Uh, but if you're, if you're listening and you enjoy this, and why wouldn't you have? Uh, it's Nikki Javala on Twitter. N-I-C-K-I-J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A. And she's Perfect. wonderful. And she's our first guest ever. And we'll go down in history as a, as the number one podcast by committee guest. Yay. So, thank so you. Yeah. You're member <laughs> 001. Congratulations. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thanks for having me. Oh no! Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, it's much appreciated. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I followed you and read you for years, so it's kind of, it's kind of cool to be, I guess, working at the same company. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Nikki. Uh, good luck. I'm sure we'll cross paths again this season. We'll we'll be, we'll be bothering you from the fantasy side. Um, Anytime. And our best, our best to Joey. And uh, well, thank and you. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. Thank you. Joseph appreciates it. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care, guys. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for episode one of Podcast by Committee. Thanks again to Nikki Javala for joining the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit the follow button. Episode two is coming Thursday. <laughs>